This is an ABC podcast. I have had issues with weight gain and weight loss quite markedly my entire life, even into my 40s, and it's still a huge issue for me. And that's hard because I hold a lot of that inside in an attempt to not let any of that be seen by my five-year-old. So she's never heard me say anything negative about my body and I'm really proud of that, but that's certainly not what goes on inside my head. So my younger sister danced really well, particularly traditional ballet. I remember the pressure that they were under and part of that was pressure around how they looked. So when I first met my wife, I remember telling her that if we ever had a daughter, I wouldn't encourage her, I wouldn't want her doing dancing, particularly ballet. And now we have a daughter and she loves dancing. And I'm a bit unsure how I balance encouraging her to to pursue that because she loves it, but at the same time being quite aware of the pressures that perhaps will be applied to her. I've always been self-conscious about my body. When I was growing up, I felt that I was larger than my friends. I was a dancer, so I was fit, but I had incredibly muscly uh, legs, particularly my calves. And I was very conscious in my school uniform that I didn't really look like some of my friends. I found my mum did comment on what I looked like in certain things, and I've made sure that I really don't make um, the same mistake and, and say some of the things that got said to me. It doesn't really matter what type of body you had as a teen. I bet you still found something to hate about it. And let's be honest, most of us, especially women, no matter how old we are, still grapple with some part of the way we look. Does that mean it's inevitable that our children will hate their bodies too? Maybe. Hi, Maggie Dent here, and in our final Parental as Anything for this season, I'm going to find out if it's possible to break the cycle of body image issues. Can we raise a generation of kids who love and accept the way they look? Farrah Fawcett, Bo Derrick, Olivia Newton-John and Jerry Hall all have in common. They're all tall, skinny and blonde with amazing long hair and they represented the ideal woman in the 1970s when I was a teenager. By the 1990s, when many of today's parents were young, the ideal look was heroin chic. I mean, seriously, what the hell? I'd love to say we've come a long way, but have we? Kim Kardashian broke the internet with her impossibly curvy yet cellulite-free backside and blockbusters are full of mega, buff, dehydrated movie stars with superhuman abilities. That means it's up to you, mums and dads, to help guide your children towards more realistic body image influences. I mean, no pressure, right? Okay, take a breath. I'm here to help. And so is Natasha Devon, a UK-based body image and mental health campaigner. Natasha, you've spent years visiting kids in schools to talk about mental health and body image issues. So what age do kids start to notice 
or talk about their body image in a in a worrying or problematic way? Well, there was a survey that was done by Girl Guiding that showed that children as young as seven believe that society values them more for how they look than for their character or their achievements. The problem is it's so much more difficult to address at that age directly. Between the ages of zero and seven, we don't have something called critical faculty. Um, And critical faculty is the ability to take something that someone has said or something that's happened to you and apply it to your pre-existing knowledge and question the context or how true it is. So very small children are just absorbing the world like a sponge. And the main way that they learn is through repetition. So if they exist in a house or in a school where they hear lots of people complaining about their bodies, they start to emulate that behavior. Do you think that body image issues are inevitable for kids, particularly as they get older and head off into adolescence? I think they are inevitable to an extent. Uh, During adolescence, where our bodies are changing and we're full of hormones and we're going to question whether or not we are normal and whether we fit in, that's all part of the growing up process. But unfortunately, what's happening is that those insecurities are being exaggerated and magnified by well, let's be honest, by companies with a multi-million pound budget who can make a lot of profits from inducing a lifetime of insecurity, which keeps us apologetic and keeps us spending. I actually think sometimes the solution to that is to take the focus away from the body. So rather than saying, you know, don't be silly, you look lovely, almost to go, do you know what, how we look is, it's not completely unimportant, but it is just the icing on the cake that is you. And let's think about what's in the sponge. Natasha, research is showing that for this generation, it's social media that's heavily impacting our children's perspectives on how they look and how they think they are supposed to look. What are your thoughts on that? It's a bit like anything else. It depends on how you use it. And the positive aspects of social media is that it does give you access to body positivity campaigners, people of lots of different shapes and sizes and skin colors. And you get to see things that perhaps you wouldn't in a magazine or a film, you know, things like vitiligo and cellulite, as you mentioned in your introduction, and even things like disability. So I would say that it very much depends on what's in their online wallpaper and who they're following. It's harder for parents to know who these people are and what they stand for. So what type of online influences worry you the most? One of the things that really worries me is the complete prevalence of these health influencers who don't have a single nutritional qualification (laughs) between them. And they are promoting so-called clean eating, um, veganism very often, cutting out whole food groups, claiming that food is medicine. And there is a real lack, I think, of basic scientific literacy in the population generally, you know, understanding that just because somebody uses what sounds like scientific language doesn't necessarily mean that the product is, is based in good evidence or is good for you. And I find that young men are particularly susceptible to that, actually. Uh, There's a whole thing with gym culture because in, in men and boys, problems around eating or eating disorders tend to begin with compulsive exercise and then graduate into restrictive behaviors around food. And in gym culture, these kinds of ideas about, uh, you know, supplements and steroids and protein products are 
spreading like wildfire and almost in a kind of, you get these elders of the gym looking for, for young men to sell to. But as far as that young man is concerned, they found a mentor. And that's actually something that that young people need, you know, they need guidance and mentorship and structure. So yeah, it's all very dangerous. When you look at people on social media, particularly women, it's it's kind of all about the eyebrows that look a bit like handlebars and duck lips. How has the selfie culture and the photo filters changed the way that kids are viewing themselves? Well, it's interesting that you talk about the eyebrows because what I have found is that they look fantastic in a selfie. It's just in real life that they look slightly clownish and, and ridiculous. Therefore, the aim is to look good in front of a camera phone. And that's something that if you grew up in the 90s like I did, that's not something you can relate to because you so rarely saw a photo of yourself. It was all about how you looked in real life. So I, I think that the beauty paradigm has shifted. And what we're seeing now is plastic surgeons talking about trends for young people coming to them and saying, can you make me look how I look online? Aside from any kind of filters or photoshopping, smartphones make your eyes look bigger and they will slim down your face. And and so you get used to seeing yourself in a certain way. And what you see when you look in the mirror is never going to match up to that. A conversation I had with my husband recently when my daughter asked for more food, she said she was still hungry. He inadvertently said, oh, you've had so much already to eat today. You've had biscuits and you've had your lunch and you've had and trying and almost listed all the things she'd had thinking gosh and he, in his mind he was thinking oh how could you possibly still be hungry but in my head I went oh my gosh you've just told her that she's eaten a lot of food and that she shouldn't be hungry and that's and in her mind she might think that's a bad thing so I had a quiet chat with him later and I said let's not comment on how much food she's had instead of saying no you can't have more say okay go and grab an apple out of the fridge With my son, he's at the age now, I suppose, where he watches YouTube clips and he's getting into sport. He's big in soccer and basketball. You see athletes and they've got their T-shirts off or whatever and they're really ripped because they exercise 12 hours a day. And he kind of came out um, at one point and said he was concerned about him having a bit of a tummy on him. He's only 11. So kids access pictures and videos of unrealistic bodies on their devices is a first step for parents in tackling body image issues, actually setting up some boundaries around that access. Is that possible? Well, I think boundaries around technology are incredibly important. And I would say the first thing is to role model the behaviour you would like to see. In terms of being able to question what they see, I find a really useful way to introduce critical thinking and kind of build that muscle is to play what I call the advert game. And it's a really funny, fun activity to do as a family if you're watching TV or if you're on YouTube to actually sit and analyze an advert and look for you know, the little legal disclaimers, which say the model is wearing hair extensions or, or this scene doesn't appear in the actual game or, you know, have conversations about what ideas you're being sold. And in having those discussions, not only is it entertaining, but you're teaching them to automatically ask questions like, what's the agenda here and where's the lie? And the influencers. Um, what are your tips for setting boundaries around who our children are looking at and being influenced by? 
treat it as you would if they had made a friend at school who you wasn't sure was a good influence. You know, if you start demonizing them, it's just going to make your child defend them and and want to spend more time with them. I think sometimes the way to have these conversations is at a safe emotional distance, so kind of in the third person. You have to be quite smart about it because otherwise it can be quite obvious what you're doing. But if there is a book, a Netflix series, a similar person online who stands for something similar, where you can talk about it in a neutral way and go, why do you think this character is behaving this way? Or, you know, what's so great about them? Just to help them work out the issues in their head without it feeling like an accusation. So that's kind of a bit like deconstructing it for them. Okay, so let's talk about photo filters. What can parents say to their kids about idealising unnatural looks? The, the body confidence movement really took root here in the UK in around about 2008. And the approach that was taken at that time is you had these people going into schools and talking about the simple fact of Photoshop and showing young people the extent to which it has been manipulated. The problem with that is I find when you do that with primary age children, the emotional resonance isn't there yet. So when I've shown how images are photoshopped to 10 year olds, they go, well, that's stupid because it's like a cartoon and no one can look like a cartoon. So why would you ever try and make yourself look like that? Which is great, but that's not a lesson. Then when you go up to maybe 13 years of age, what you hear from them is, I know that's been manipulated but that doesn't stop me aspiring to it anyway. It's interesting because as the teenage brain develops, the way they see themselves kind of becomes a bit distorted, particularly in early adolescence. Their capacity to see themselves critically and honestly really gets a bit fuzzy before they're 16. I know, and it's so troubling. And so what I have done, and I've you can find this on my website, is I've created an exercise that you can do at home or at school where it, it's all about diversifying your feed. So you, you go through your social media feed mindfully and notice when things are making you feel anxious or insecure. You remove the things that are negatively influencing you and then you find things that are going to improve your mindset. You know, do, do I need more diversity? Do I need to be challenged? Do I need more positivity? Do I need inspiration? And like I said right at the beginning, the great thing about social media is that those people are out there. You can access them. Natasha, so what might some parents be doing unintentionally to reinforce body dissatisfaction around their children? Well, about 90% of our total capacity for thoughts is unconscious, which means that we're always absorbing the images in our environment and the language that we hear. And that can lay down some of those unconscious belief systems, which in turn affect how we see the world. And what I find is happening quite a lot is parents are telling their children, you're beautiful, you're gorgeous, you're perfect the way that you are but then in earshot of their child are complaining about their own bodies. And so then what that child learns is that their body is socially acceptable, but I have to fear puberty. I have to fear becoming an adult because an adult body is problematic. It's a problem that needs to be solved. So I would say to parents, you know, if you want to encourage healthy body image in your child, the first step would be to love your own body. So what's a good practical tip? so that our actions do reflect a change in attitude towards body image, especially while our kids are still young. 
my advice to anybody who, particularly if, if the person is under seven, but I would say anybody who is a parent or a teacher of somebody under 10 is rather than talking about the problems to provide or try and create an environment where the solutions are right there. So, you know, for example, I was talking to a teacher where there was a child in her class who was compulsively eating. And I was saying, well, why don't you create a kind of bowl of healthy snacks and say, you can have that anytime you're hungry. The people that I know that have the healthiest relationship with food, they all say one thing, that their parents said you can eat anytime you want. And there was a fruit bowl or, you know, some crumpets in the cupboard. And they knew that they could have those. It didn't matter if it was five minutes before dinner or midnight, they were allowed. So I I think, uh, you know, teaching them to distinguish emotional hunger from physical hunger, but also trusting them a little bit and going, yeah, you can can eat whenever you want, stops them from thinking that certain behaviours around foods are naughty and therefore appealing. When I was very young, I was told I had to lose weight for a show, but not because of the way I looked. It was purely because I had to fly in this particular show. So the rules around how heavy you were in order to safely fly in this particular theatre meant that I had to be a certain weight. It's scary to think that it wasn't even something that was particularly nasty or cruel, but it still had a lifelong effect on me. And I look back at photos and I was a very healthy, well-balanced, fit girl. But I always had these these issues. That grew into a stage in my life that that included like some bulimia and um, a lot of health issues around that kind of thing that, that luckily was managed well before it became severe. What are some obvious signs, Natasha, that a child's negative body image is evolving into something bigger, something we need to be concerned about? What are the red flags? What the evidence shows is that if a young person is being drawn into a toxic environment, they will spend more, not less time on their phones. So I would look for a real increase in obsession with looking at their phones. Also, in terms of eating disorders, comparing themselves to others. Am I fatter or thinner than that person? Constantly asking questions, trying to find out where they fit in this kind of perceived hierarchy of of body image. And then the other thing is, it's a myth that people who experience eating difficulties don't like food or don't want to eat actually an obsession with food. So one of the things that I've found is really common in in girls in particular with eating problems is they will deprive themselves but want to feed other people. So they'll constantly be baking or cooking and they, they kind of maintain a proximity to food, but they're not actually eating it themselves. And if those signs are there, how do we get them to seek help? If you have serious concerns about your child's mental health, you can't fix it for them. That's the first thing for parents to acknowledge. So you've really only got two jobs, listen without judgment 
and point them in the direction of where they can get any further supports. And listening without judgment is there's actually evidence to show that when you make somebody feel safe and show genuine interest in them, you know, don't dismiss their concerns, ask lots of open questions, that actually improves their brain chemistry. It means that they have a, a sort of good amount of dopamine in their brain when they walk away from that conversation. So they have more clarity of thought. And then the second thing is to find reputable sources of support. Natasha, one of the big frustrations I've heard from kids with serious body image issues light body dysmorphic disorders is that their parents and friends think that they should just snap out of it. But it's it's not something you can just stop, is it? It isn't. And my sense of why body image dissatisfaction and eating problems are so prevalent is because we exist in a world where there is so much pressure on young people, and that has led to increasing instances of anxiety. Anxiety is one of the fastest growing mental health issues in this country, in under 21s. And when you feel anxious or stressed or like you have no control over your life, one of the easiest things to channel those feelings of anxiety into is your body image. Firstly, because it's visible, you can see it. And secondly, because it's something tangible. You know, if I lose weight, if I change this, I can physically see the change. And then that feels like I'm in control. So I would say that rather than focusing on the behaviors around food and weight, it might be worth trying to find out what's underlying those. And then that's what can be tackled. I began by asking you if body image issues are inevitable. And you're right that it probably is to some extent. So what's a good message for parents who are worried about this? I think that with any of these issues, the golden rule is the earlier you catch it, the easier it is to address and deal with it. And the evidence backs that up, in fact, that, you know, sometimes it's just a question of having the right conversation at the right time. And most of the things that we carry into adulthood you know, an offhand comment that someone made that doesn't probably didn't bear any relation to who we were then, but certainly has no relevance to who we are now, they probably wouldn't even remember making. And that's why I'm always incredibly mindful, not only of what I say, but how I say it when I'm talking to young people. I know this is a really tough one for a lot of parents because While no one, not one of you, wants your kids to dislike the way they look, body image is so subtly ingrained in all of us. However, there are some things you can do every day that will instill some positive messages in your children. The first one is try not to complain about your own body in front of the kids. Smile at yourself when you're looking in the mirror. They're watching you. I deliberately walked around our home naked as I wanted my boys to see a healthy, mature woman's body that had carried and given birth to four babies, expose them to some body-positive influences and encourage them to diversify their social media feeds. They need to see the shapes, the skin tones and the hairy upper lips that reflect the changes in our own bodies. And finally, remember what Natasha said about complementing behaviours and values over looks. I know it's so easy to tell your kids they're beautiful and their little girls look gorgeous. I tell my grandies all the time. However, what about saying, wow, look how kind you can be and look how strong you are and look how clever you are. 
all of those things are still complementing our kids that are not just about how they look. If you're looking for valuable and reputable information in Australia about body image and eating disorders, go to the most trusted sites, the Butterfly Foundation and Beyond Blue are just a couple of really good options. If you're trying to overcome some of your own body hang-ups so you can be a more positive role model for your kids, there's an episode of Ladies We Need to Talk that you should check out. It's called Body Image. Why do we hate our bodies? There is so much evidence to suggest that a large percentage of women across the lifespan have negative body image and want to change the way they look. We've got this thing called fat talk that women often engage with, with their friends and colleagues. It's almost taboo to actually be happy with how you look. It's a really important conversation that we all need to be having. You'll find it in the feed of Ladies We Need to Talk on the ABC Listen app or free podcast apps like Apple and Google. And that's a wrap on this season of Parental as Anything. But wait, I'm going to be back the next season, season four. In the meantime, go back, listen to some of our greatest hits. There are so many episodes in the back catalogue to help you with everything from discipline to managing anxiety. And of course, so many excellent tips for managing fights and loneliness, both in and out of lockdowns and isolation. This is the person that you've promised to have and to hold until death of your part. You know, you're going to love them forever, uh, except that you get on each other's nerves every couple of hours. So we can't even get along well with the person that we've chosen to live with and our children Well, Maggie, they didn't choose their siblings. They didn't ask to live in the same bedroom. They didn't ask to breathe the same air. Wouldn't it be great if the children could actually articulate, well, at the moment I'm feeling a little bit concerned, maybe (laughs) a touch agitated, because my little brother, I mean, that's not what happens, right? No. So, until next year, this is Parental as Anything with me, Maggie Dent. Parental as Anything is an ABC podcast. The series was mixed by Anne-Marie de Bettencourt. The consulting producer is Carmen Myler. My thanks to Will Ambrose, Timothy Nicastri and Stephen Tilly for technical support. Our field reporter is Selena Ross. Our producer is Kim Lester. The executive producer is Justine Kelly. And the commissioning editor is Kelly Reardon. Listener.